Well, good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad that you've joined us here today, that you've, you've come on this Sunday morning. Um, it was, it's fun for me to have uh, Jared and Veronica here playing uh, worship songs with us and singing. They're, Jared's actually a guy that um, our friendship goes back to OCC, our sending church. And if any of you are in our discipleship groups right now, some of you are in this um, intensive program that we're doing as a church. And Jared was in the first D group that I led at OCC. It was years ago. It was a long time ago. So, and actually, he was one of the guys that he and Veronica were, they grew a lot through that program. And I got to see them really develop their commitment to Christ through that. So it's fun having you guys serve our church. They've actually, I, we were talking before service. They, he, was, he played music while we were at the school last year at the hotel and at the park so he's they've, they've come out a bunch of times they got three kids in our kids zone right now so they got up early to drive from riverside to help us out and that's just one of the ways that the god keeps providing for our church as we keep going and growing so um, once again welcome to valley lights my name is bruce wood i'm the lead pastor here and we get to wrap up a message series that we started this is the fourth message in the financial squeeze message series and we're you know, we're, we're, we're walking through this situation where we're being squeezed in our country with the highest inflation rate that we've seen in over 40 years. And we're all being affected by that in some way. God offers help to us as we navigate that. Um, there are, when it comes to, you know, God offers help in, in all kinds of areas of life. It includes finances, but when it comes to money, there's, there's some conditions that are attached to God's offer for help as we face financial challenges. And really, that's what this series has been about. The past three weeks, we looked at three conditions, um, and today's the fourth one. So if we want God's help in navigating the financial squeeze, and, the, and maybe if, even if it's not related to inflation, maybe there's other times in your life where you experience some trouble and, and some tough times financially. If we want God's help, one of his conditions is that we grow our generosity. Now, if we're talking about how to survive a financial squeeze, and we're going to say that God is suggesting that we actually give away some of our resources, you know, that, it almost feels like that doesn't make sense. So maybe, maybe some of the other topics we looked at so far, they made a little bit more sense. But this one, how does it work? It seems like giving money away is the opposite of what we should do in a time like this. You know, you would think that maybe God would see our situation, our economy, and he, he would just yell down something like, hey, everyone, just try to hold on to whatever you got. <laughs> like, just grab all your resources. But no, that's, that's actually not what he says. One of the things that we find in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 35, Jesus gave us these words. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the word blessed, it means to be happy and well-off on the inside. You know, that being, being blessed is a nice condition to be in. And the, when we are blessed, the source of blessing is God. God is the one that blesses us. And so when God sees someone working on increasing their giving, really stretching themselves in generosity, God responds by blessing. It, and right now, it might, this may feel like maybe this is, the, this is the worst time to work on generosity. Like, seriously? In light of all that's going on? But actually, believe it or not, it's the perfect time. In this, it's in this squeeze, financially, that we learn once again 
just how fickle money is. Man, it's just so hard to keep a grip on it, isn't it? It's in time like this that we, we remember just how fading is the happiness that money promises. There's a, when I go on Amazon lately, I, I see this picture that comes up on the home screen. Some version of somebody holding a ton of stuff, like packages and stuff they just bought, and they're so happy about it. <laughs> There's like confetti and like they've got different, you know, little movies of people just so happy about what they bought. And uh, Amazon wants us to keep buying and grabbing and getting and filling our houses and our arms with all kinds of stuff. And this, I mean, that looks like a promise of happiness if I ever saw it. <laughs> oh, you guys probably know. I mean, pictures like that must at least work somewhat in the background of our mind, just kind of influencing it. Oh, it's stuff. Like, oh, maybe there's actually something in there that I do want. Like, maybe a little camera or the shoe or the high heel. You know, we were, we were out passing out flyers for the, the sports night yesterday, a group of us from church. And there was an older couple outside putting out stuff in their driveway. And I, I walked by and I was like, oh, you guys doing a garage sale? And they said, no, we're, we're just, this is all free. <laughs> this, we're just giving it all away. And so they just, they were, he, I was talking to him. He's like, he's like, when you get older, man, we just need to get rid of this stuff. We, we don't need, we don't need all this stuff. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't even care if they got money for it. He just wanted the stuff gone. He, that's what he realized at the end of his life. There was another guy I talked to. He was sitting in his garage, another, again, an older gentleman. And uh, he, he, we were talking and, and we were about him moving there. And I could see through the garage and a really nice pool and backyard, like a really beautiful backyard. And he said, we were talking, he said, one, the reason that they even bought that house was uh, because of the pool and for the kids. But now the kids are old and grown and... And they're far away, and only the dog uses the pool now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing, doing stuff, you know, buying nice things, is, it is fine to enjoy things that God provides. But there's an illusion that we get happiness from, from money and stuff and getting. And really, the happiness that stuff promises, it fades. And it just wears down, gets old. And then you realize at the end of your life, you don't really need that stuff anyway. There's more important things, actually. The financial squeeze that we're in right now is an invitation to turn to God, really to turn to the God whose blessing never fades. I recently learned about a book written by two sociologists from Notre Dame, and they wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity. Subtitle is Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose. And so they did a study, uh, really studying the effects of generosity in the lives of 2,000 Americans. So the book's got a lot of studies and graphs and charts and stuff. And what they, dis they discovered that what the Bible says happens to be true in everyday life. So this is actually not a church book. This is a, a sociology research book. And one of the quotes from the book, they say, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is, only, this is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it's a sociological fact. And so these guys, they, point, they make the point, they also say, when we grasp, that's when we lose. The word that they use for the person who isn't generous, they use the word miser. Well, miser is the root word, is the root of the word miserable. <laughs> 
And uh, so, so this really fascinating read is just kind of, it's just like another example of people stumbling upon what the Bible has already said really clearly. But just because the Bible says it and some academics say it doesn't mean that we'll do it necessarily. Our entire culture and really our own hearts tell us that getting, not giving, is the key to happiness. What, what, makes, what makes the opposite true? You know, if there's no God, if God doesn't exist, then it's basically every man, woman, and child for themselves, scrambling to get what they need and want. But if God is real, and if his words are true, and if God's really involved in the details of life, then pleasing him is the key to happiness, not getting stuff. You know, when Abraham Lincoln was president, one of the things that he did was to have In God We Trust inscribed in, on all of the national coins. And he was leading at a time when the future of the nation was in question. Lincoln knew that the future rests on God, not on money. And so it's kind of like, it's almost like he put an asterisk on our money, kind of like, hey, hey remember this? Like, in God we trust, reminding us that there's really no amount of coins or dollars or money that could ever replace God. This was actually his final act that he signed into law before he was assassinated in 1865. This was his last legacy that he made, and it, it still carries on today. But of course, printing in God we trust on our money doesn't make it so, necessarily. How do we know if our trust is in God or our trust is greater in our money? Well, generosity is the indicator of trust because if, if you give away something that you have, especially if you give away money or resources that you worked hard for, you've got to believe that God, not money, is the key to your future. You've got to believe in him. So in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a small book called Haggai. It's two chapters long. And this was written at a time when God's people had been conquered, sold into slavery, and now God has returned them to the land, and he instructed them to rebuild the temple. The temple was a place of worship. That's where they'd be able to um, give their, their devotion and their worship to God. But as you can imagine, just coming out of slavery, like fresh out of slavery, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money, and they got a lot to do. They were former slaves trying to build a new life for themselves and for their families. And so the two chapters of this book can be divided really into two sections. The first section, the theme is the people were telling God, not now. It's like they were, there's basically their attitude towards God was, not now, God. And this is actually a struggle that we find ourselves facing at times in life. And so uh, if you want to follow along in your listening guide, the, the theme of this first part of Haggai is when we say, not now. So Haggai, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. So God, God says, hey, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. They had instructions to build a temple. They weren't doing it. Why, why weren't they doing it yet? Well, they didn't really have the extra money yet. They didn't have the extra money that it would take to rebuild the temple. And so these people, the people of God, thought, if they start giving to God, they won't get their farms ready the way that they would like to. They wouldn't be able to get their houses built the way that they want to, or it won't be as nice for their families, or it won't be ready at all. Their plan was to, in my farm, in my house, in my family, 
up and in order first, and then we'll give money to God after that. And here's what God says. Next verse, it says, the, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house, this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So how is it going for God's people at this time? They, they were not as far along as they should be. Maybe they thought they'd be further and have more produced and more stability, but it just it was not coming together. They, man, they couldn't get a grip on their finances or their houses. And it's not because they were lazy. I mean, they're working hard, they're farming, they're planting a lot of seed. They're being actually very diligent in their work, doing whatever they can to earn their keep. But what was happening? They kept coming up short. God had decided to bring about a decline for them because they decided giving to God was optional. They said to God, not now, God, not yet. Because, and because, because they said not now to God, God said to them, not now for you. And this, there's a crazy, here's, one of the, here's a crazy verse in this, in this chapter. Verse 1-9, it says, God, God tells them, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. It's not like economy went bad or there was like a disaster. God himself blew away their resources. That's crazy. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Now, is God just a big meanie? <laughs> is he doing that? Did he blow away their resources because he's mean? No, God actually really cares about them, and he cares about us, and he does things like this to teach us. We get wrapped up in the wrong things really easily. Priorities were out of whack, and they weren't even, he even sent a person to tell them. And <laughs> they, they needed some priority readjustment. In our house, we go through a lot of food. Got a bunch of kids, and we especially go through a lot of milk and bananas. And this week, we ran out of both. You know, bananas because they're like the cheapest fruit. So like every day, I'm like, everyone needs to eat a banana. <laughs> you just need to start with that. If you're going to go through food, it's going to be the cheap stuff. And um, so we ran out of both. And we used all of our budgeted money for groceries. It was still a few more days before I got paid. I also had a starter go bad in one of my vehicles. And the repair, I needed to buy the part for that. And that, was, that just cost more than what I had budgeted for mechanics that, that month. And so as a parent, I could say, you know what, everybody? Now's not a good time financially. So sorry, kids and wife. You're going to have to stay home with no food in the house until I get paid. <laughs> no, that, that's ridiculous. No, I spent the money. We got some groceries, I got the part, and you know, the health and well-being of my family is more important enough for me to rearrange some of our budgeted categories. So we took some money out of a different category, put it in those, and that's, you know, over time, that's actually what we do with our budget. We repeatedly adjust things in our budget. Sometimes we do less in another area so that we can spend on what's really needed. When something is a top priority, like my kids eating, <laughs> not now is not a good response. <laughs> That's a bad idea. So the people in Haggai, they were saying, now's, now's not a good time, God. Uh, you know, God's priorities are not a good time for us. 
But what they were really saying is that, you know, there's other things that are more important to us than God. And out of his goodness and gracious and kindness, God knows how easy it is for all of us to move him down the list of priorities. So he gave a very concrete amount for us to give. He just made it really, really easy to remember. He calls it a tithe, which means tenth, which means followers of Christ. And this time, the people of God, they give 10% of their income to God. Now, why do people give 10% of their income to God? Does God need the money? Yes and no. Yes, because the work of God on earth always requires resources to accomplish the things that God wants to do. Yeah, it takes money. In the Old Testament, God's work was centered around the temple. That's the focus of this book. Since Jesus has come, his work centers around the church. So back then, the tithe was given to the temple, and now the tithe is given to the local church. But no, God doesn't need our money in that God doesn't need you or me or any of my dollars to fund his work. He's big enough. The deeper purpose of the tithe is really for our hearts to learn how to put our trust in God, just like it says on our money. <laughs> it so easily gets wrapped around other things. There's this other benefit. As we, as we begin to move into this area of obedience and giving and generosity, there's this other benefit that comes up, and it's that generosity actually changes us. It changes us for the better. During the time of the early church, when some of the early Christians after Jesus started learning about generosity, there was, it was about 45 AD, and there was a famine that lasted five years that struck Palestine, and the church in Jerusalem was struggling just to survive. So the Apostle Paul asked some of the other churches, especially in, some, in the Greek area, they called it Macedonia, he asked some of the other churches to give to the, the folks in Jerusalem. And one of the churches that gave was a small struggling church in a city called Corinth. And his second letter to this church, Paul identifies the kind of impact that that generosity has, and actually the impact that it has on us. And he says, hey, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. These are these, are these small but generous churches in Greece. <coughs> he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So Paul's basically saying there were some churches that gave money even though the timing could not have been worse for them to give. And he points out, if you actually go back one more, two of the things he points out. These churches, they were experiencing severe trial uh, and really that was because they were, they were under extreme persecution and often hiding for their lives and in extreme poverty. They were just struggling to put food on the table. And there's two things that came. You, know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't maybe put all these things together, but what, what flowed out of severe trial, extreme poverty, it came, the next slide, overflowing joy and rich generosity. How do you even have all of those things in the same verse? This is crazy. What lingered for these generous people long after their gifts had been given was overflowing joy. The money was gone, but what stayed behind was joy. And how, how is this even possible? How could they even be joyful when it actually appears that their trials and their poverty continued? It's not like they got out of a jam. But man, it was the generosity that produced joy in them. Kind of points back to the idea, it is more blessed to give. Now, let's look at this second theme in the book of Haggai. This is, it actually gets pretty encouraging here. The second theme is when God says, Now. 
you know, for all of us in our situation here, what's, what's the big economic question on the minds of people these days? It's probably how, how long is inflation going to last? Actually, how much more can we take of inflation going up at this rate? When will the stocks recover? Basically, the question probably on many people's mind economically is when are things going to get better? And the answer is when God decides. The people in Haggai responded to God's challenging words about three months later, and they started give to, to give to that temple project. And as a result, God said, now, now is the time that I'll give back. In chapter 2, it says, God says to them, from this day on, from this 24th day on the ninth month, he's like, you got a calendar? Circle it with a red pen. This day, the 24th day on the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and fig tree, pomegranate and olive tree have not borne fruit, but from this day on, I will bless you. God's basically saying, I want you guys to remember this day because you're going to notice later what may have seemed like a coincidence. This is the day that things started improving for you. I want you to see the connection. It's like God's saying, I want you to see the connection between your obedience and generosity and the way it caused blessing in the rest of your life. So maybe there's something in your life that you would like God to say now to. Something that, you know, that only he can help with. Maybe it's, maybe it's not something financial, but it seems like there's always something about which we can say, you know, God, now would be a great time. And here's a principle that we're looking at in this message, is that God generally will not say now to you when we're saying not now to him. You might consider removing the obstacles by saying now to generosity. So I want, you, I want to offer a challenge for you to consider. Maybe you pick a day this month and you circle it on the calendar with a red pen and you take a next step in your generosity and you ask God to do what he did in Haggai when he said, from this day on, I will bless you. Now everyone here is at a different place, but we are all capable of stretching ourselves. And so you might fall, here's, here's a few categories that you might fall in. You might be currently um, a non-giver. Maybe perhaps you've never given to God before. Giving anything might be a, a very significant step. So maybe once in a while, maybe now, between now and the end of the year, you push yourself and you contribute something. And, and maybe if, you're, if you've done that, maybe the next step would be to become an occasional giver. Maybe you give occasionally. Then it's, if that's true, it's maybe sporadic. Maybe your giving is dependent on a few conditions like how your finances are going or how often you attend church. For an occasional giver, it might feel like a big step to become a regular giver. Now, people who give regularly, they set a schedule. Maybe they use automatic or recurring payments. And if this is where you're at, you've, maybe you've made an internal commitment that doesn't matter if I'm out of town or what, if my rent got increased, my giving is scheduled and intentional. And if you're there, if you're already there, maybe a next step for you would be to become a tither. In the Bible, we find out that God does bless those who tithe. And he allows financial ruin for believers who fail to tithe. As he said, he's, he's the one that blew away the resources. In the New Testament, Jesus affirmed the practice of tithing. So giving 10%, man, that can, that can feel like a lot. That's like going from nothing to 10 is a big jump financially. And if you're not tithing, maybe... 
maybe this is the next step for you. You could maybe decide to tithe between now and the end of the year, which is about three months, and see what happens. But tithing isn't just God's baseline for giving. Or, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it's, tithing is the baseline. It's not the finish line. So there's one more level of giving. This is above the tithe. And so if you're, if you're tithing 10%, then maybe you would pray about giving a gift beyond the tithe sometime between now and the end of the year. We can find many examples in the Bible when people of God gave beyond their tithe. It may be for a specific need. It may be out of gratitude for what God's done. People who have been giving for years may find that it's really easy to put giving on autopilot. Maybe you've been a part of churches for a long time, just set it and forget it. I mean, it's kind of like a lot of our bills are recurring. You know, utility companies, they love it when we register for auto pay. It's like kind of convenient for everybody. But, you know, you know, most people tend to like automatic or even just fixed expenses. Like a predictable mortgage is really easier than a variable rate one. But God wants us to have a dynamic faith that grows. You probably want a faith that grows as well. And so God would prefer us to have a variable giving rate rather than a fixed giving rate. And so I've talked with many Christ followers over the years who uh, I've known some who have who've made a regular habit of increasing their tithe by a certain percentage year after year. Maybe go from 10 to 10.5 or 11 or up to 15 or beyond that. And this really is a way for us to continually expand our hearts in generosity and express our dependence on God. So this, this whole area of generosity, God wants us to grow in this area. Really, that's a, that's a stretching thing. It's to take a step beyond my current level of giving. Ooh, I usually, I, you know, I feel reluctant about that. I feel uncomfortable at the idea of increasing our giving. Man, Paul wrote about some of those feelings. In 2 Corinthians, this letter to that church again, he says, each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Basically, Paul is saying, if you're going to give, then be wholehearted about it. Don't, you don't get any points. You don't get any brownie points if you, if you give, but you feel resentful about it. So the fun thing about this verse, though, is that sometimes you might take this and say, like, well, I'm not really feeling very generous at all, so I'm not going to give anything. <laughs> but Paul mentions this heart. There's this heart factor. There's something inside of us. It's often the case that our hearts need to be stretched. Instead of just giving up on giving, maybe we can intentionally stretch ourselves and expand our desire towards deeper levels of sacrifice. Earlier I mentioned that generosity actually changes us. Man, it can, it can lead to a kind of joy that we didn't have before, even in extreme situations. Generosity also changes the future, though. Check this out. He also writes to this church in Corinth. He says, the service that you perform, basically by giving money to this other group, um, this is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So it looked like the gift, the financial gift, was, um, it was, it was not just helpful materially, but it was creating a lot of thanksgiving to God. And so when you give in the name of Christ to his church, like these Corinthians did, it multiplies thanks. Gratitude to God is multiplied when, when there's more people that are thanking God. When, when you give to a church, you're giving towards seeing people's lives changed. The people that have come to be a part of Valley Lights, who have been forever changed, 
man, are so grateful to God. Man, I'm, you know, people are just are so grateful that God has, has captured them, brought them, turned their lives around, connected them to a healthy community. And some of those people that are so grateful to God, maybe they don't realize that it's been some of your money that has resulted in that. But we know, and God knows, that we're a part of it. We, as we give, we get to be a part of what God is doing and changing people. One of the things that we'll spend money on as a church is that family sports night. And so giving, when you, know, when you give here, part of that money is going to go towards doing outreach events. We actually have some, um, we have a grant that we received from a California Baptist uh, convention that, that's going to help supply this. And we're also borrowing as much equipment as we can from a few different churches and try to cut down on costs. But we, we do need to buy some things, and it costs money to, to put on events for the city and for our community. And so, so we'll need to use resources for that. And uh, one, of the, I mean, one of the things that we bought was a, a solid gold football. It's right here. <laughs> okay, just kidding, actually, it's pretty light. <laughs> It's not solid gold. I just painted it gold. But this is, uh, this is one of the prize. Actually, this is the main prize. So um, this is just kind of fun. When we're going to have all these fun challenges. Families get together, and there's going to be a final challenge. Where everybody's lined up and uh, doing this like long toss. And whoever is with those Nerf Vortex, those ones that whistle. And uh, it's going to be tons of fun. And then whoever wins gets this giant golden football and gets to hold it up in front of everybody. And uh, we'll take pictures and have balloons and confetti and all that stuff. So that's going to be fun. This is just, you know, this is just an example. And I'm really excited because we actually have, um, well, another thing that we spent money on was some advertising. And so we did some ads on Facebook and Instagram. And we've already had, we have a, uh, 15 families that have just found the advertising and signed up and registered their kids. Um, I think about 65 people so far that we don't know and we've never met and we've really had no other way of meeting or getting connected to except for an event like this. So that's really exciting. I'm really excited to see who God brings to that. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, as, it, it, actually as a church, we're stretching ourselves to go, to go out. Um, so I'm really excited and I do appreciate the many ways that you, you guys have helped to invest in that financially, but also with volunteering. So kind of to wrap this up, whenever you face some financial pressure, the big temptation that I face and that you face, we all face, is to shrink our giving rather than increasing it. Because, you know, I can't afford to give right now. Man, I need to cut back. That's a very natural approach. But that's a sight-based perspective rather than a faith-based perspective. When feeling squeezed financially, rather than shrinking your generosity, what if you were to actually increase your commitment to generosity? I don't know where you find yourself on that, that giving, those steps of giving ladder, but I'd encourage you to consider making a commitment in some way, in some way, increase your commitment to generosity through the rest of this year, sometime between now in the end of December, and see how God responds. Not, not just as a begrudging thing, but see how God actually responds to you and, and brings good into your life from that. So now that we have gotten to the end of this message series, we've journeyed through these four topics, I wanted to give you a tool that will help you remember some of the principles. And so there's this, it's almost like a credit card sized item that you received in your program. And this is a tool on, on the front side, there's that verse from Isaiah 46 that we've looked at each week. 
where it says, where God says, I will be the same until your old age. I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you and I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. This is really a promise from God to take care of us through the length of life. Not just financially, but in all ways. But there are some conditions, <laughs> some conditions to receiving God's help. And so these, the four conditions that we looked at each week are printed on the back of this card. Um, is to, that I carry my, alone, my load. I bear responsibility for my own uh, bringing in resources, working hard, being diligent. Also that I choose contentment. That I calm my emotions. I mean, I deal with the anxiety that comes from not having enough. And I really turn my trust to God. And then commit, that I commit to growing my generosity. These things, if you do these things, there's like a certain amount of um, confidence that you can have. Like, if you, if you do these, especially the way that Scripture describes it, you can feel like, man, I'm, I, I'm moving forward in life, handling my money the way that God wants me to. That's... That's actually a pretty good feeling, and there's a lot of, there's so much good and blessing that flows from that. So these are, see, these are some of the things that God expects from those who follow him. So you can add this to your wallet or to your purse as a reminder. This is a path to take whenever you're facing a financial squeeze. And so I'd invite you to take God's offer, take him up on that offer to carry you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your guidance. And, um, you know, this topic, this is a hard one. Money is very close to the heart, and it reveals a lot about us and about our trust and our affections, and I pray that we would turn more of our trust and affection to you and not to our stuff or our money or our own sense of financial stability. I thank you that um, you, you want to see us not wrapped around something that's an illusion, but really wrapped around you because you're trustworthy and reliable. Thank you for your help. And, helping us to prepare for this event coming up next week. I pray that you'd bless it and bring many people to it. Allow us to connect to people that are far from you. Would you allow us to, to bring more people into connection to you to help us share the good news about Christ and that many more people's lives and eternities would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.